This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural 2023 edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. Tonight on the show, we have Dr. Travis Benson, guitarist and vocalist of The True Faith. This is their record release special, Go to Ground, a nine-song triumphant foray into the more Stygian leanings of dark pop music. This is a win for this band. This is uh, a sophomore effort that is rife with everything that makes that band so special and ups the ante in a very particular way that I think can only be done justice by listening to the record and in keeping with that sentiment tonight on the show, I am going to offer every song from the album, sometimes beneath the conversation, sometimes we'll take a little break from the conversation and I'll interject one of the songs. It's a mixed bag. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you appreciate the effort I put into it. <laughs> so listen, we've been getting a lot of... Uh, subscribers uh, for the exclusive content. I was waiting for it to build up to a critical mass in 2023 to start offering it. And in the month of January, we will begin that said exclusive content with episodes only for those that are subscribers to the show. Thereafter, the exclusive merchandise will come into play. And the compilation album comes out this year, 2023, February 2023. The compilation album that I've been hinting at and talking to you about will finally see the light of day. I hope you're all ready for it. It'll be available on Bandcamp, 
And for those of you who do subscribe, it will be sent immediately to your inboxes. We're really excited about this whole phase of the operation over here. Tiana and I have been working diligently to bring all of this to you. 2023 is going to be the book of very, very bad things year. We're kicking it up a severe notch. I hope you're ready for this. So, tonight Travis and I talk about a good many things. We talk about uh, the band. We talk about his uh, time in medical school. We speak upon our shared vocation in the Plumbers and Pipefitters Union. We, we, we broach a lot of interesting topics. Um, some of it may be over your head. Most of it, I doubt, will be. Either way, this band has been a cause for much excitement in the underground scene, and I think, I think you're going to be satisfied with what we unearth this time around. So without dragging this out any further, I really appreciate uh, all of the support since 2021. Uh, I have the best listeners in the podcast sphere. I really do. I appreciate you all so very much. And I hope I live up to all of the expectations and the accolades that I've been given by you all. I think this episode will live up to said hype. Justin's a hell of a good guy. We have a great time. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, he is also an integral cog in the a la carte records wheel. So it's not only the true faith, it's lesser care. It's every band that you love on a la carte. He has a hand in the label aspect as well as his own musical output. We get into that as well, but that's enough of my yammering without further ado, I give to you. Travis Benson on the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. All right. Are we in business? Is this it, working now? Yeah, it's, it certainly seems oh. to be. <laughs> Thank you, man. Sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. It's cursed. It's, it's it's computers. That's the problem. <laughs> well, literally, as I was logging on, like my webcam just like stopped working initially, and I was like, ah, it's been an ongoing problem. So I figured, okay, I'll do the phone, but you know, that's an issue too, apparently. Yeah, I use my uh, my phone as my webcam because they're just uh, it, it's a mess, and I'm I'm like a caveman. I'm a luddite. So yeah, <laughs> I'm so, with you on that. I'm getting too old for this shit. So. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm 46. I'm way too old for the shit rigs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, at least you got a decade on me. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's just falling apart on me. But uh, just for the sake of legality, can you state your name and give me your permission to use your likeness and your voice for the purposes of this podcast? Yeah. So my name is Travis Benson. And I give my consent for you to use my voice and likeness for the purpose of this podcast. Wonderful. Thank you. So Travis, just to uh, 
kind of give everybody a background on you. Uh, what is it you do for the true Because you're the true faith now, not just true faith. You're the yeah, true we, <laughs> it was uh It was actually, yeah. So we started off as just true faith. Uh, and it actually just started off as just a solo project initially. Um, the name change came from Francisco, who uh, is like the label head for a la carte records. Um, he just kind of, we were trying to figure out like what to do for a test press cover. Uh, for our last album and he like drew this really crude like awful drawing uh and on it he for some reason wrote the true faith and i was like that is the stupidest thing i've ever heard but i love it so uh we slowly like migrated everything over uh to that name um also doing part to the fact that we keep getting tagged on instagram for this uh, filipino band from the 90s that yeah. i thought was dormant i guess they're back um but we keep getting tagged as them uh, so hopefully to eliminate a little bit of the confusion, uh, putting the in front of it might help. But um, in terms of what I do in the band, so vocals, uh, play guitar um, in prior iterations, like on the first demo and the uh, first EP uh, synth. So kind of kind of the gamut on on that. So like with the exception of the band, you're also a physician, correct? Yeah, I mean, everybody in the band is at this wow. point. Um, it was, yeah, it was really weird. So we ended up meeting all at medical school, um, which is really weird because I wouldn't expect people to have like an interest in this type of music who, you know, going to the medical field. I think like most of the time when I think of like a lot of the people I went to school with or a lot of people who enter that field, um, much more normal in their their tastes <laughs> than than goth and post-punk and shoegaze and all that so it was it was a pleasant surprise like actually meeting these people and then finding out that they also have an interest in making music and then just kind of like seeing it come together yeah the, the only extreme i could think of uh where people were involved in the medical field would be like the band general surgery the grindcore band and you know like carcass they used a lot of medical terminology in their lyrics now with you guys lyrically it's not really about that you, you're really you're really like you're not even playing into the tropes of what would normally be construed as post-punk or goth as the dirty word that goth is now um you know it's it's more like just true to life uh hard on sleeve type of uh lyrical approach uh, i'm guessing you're uh in charge of that part as well yeah, so I did the lyrics, but it's, so actually, I kind of want to go back to something you said before about like this band general surgery or whatever. There's actually been like a decent amount of punk people who have been in medicine, which I've always found kind of fascinating. I want to say it was the drummer of Down to Nothing is a doctor. Yeah. Um, and then like the drummer of The Offspring is like a gynecologist. Um, and so you end up like actually meeting people in um in the medical field who have like this like deep-seated interest in punk which is also it's always reassuring because it's such like an uptight stuffy conservative field um and, and i'm glad to see that kind of change uh just because you know i think it's i think it's better for patient care if you know doctors have like a perspective that somebody who grew up listening to punk might have i think so uh that's always good but then back to like lyrics um, we actually do like a lot of like subtle tongue in cheek, like medical references in a lot of the stuff we do. Um, so like, for example, um, the seven inch we did, uh, has a song called Luke of Orn rescue on it. And that's a reference to, um, it's medical terminology, um, for somebody who 
is on like certain anti-cancer medications um, that deplete like folate levels, for example, um, and eventually their blood, uh, their bone marrow will become suppressed. You give them a medication called leucoborin to help rescue the bone marrow. And it's just known co uh, colloquially as leucoborin rescue. And I use that kind of like a metaphor for like that idea, but within like everyday life type things, like in injecting something uh, to, to kind of reinvigorate and like find purpose in life again. So there are like little things like the first e the first EP, actually, wow, yeah, I guess it's three things now. The EP, uh, as much as possible, the first album, They Can Always Hear You More, and the now upcoming sophomore album, Go to Ground, are all actual references from a book called House of God, which is this, like, really kind of, like, crude, like, book from the 70s about, like, what it's like living as a doctor like more specifically as a medical trainee and like the system that just like eats its young and like hazes everybody and like how that like really feeds into a lot of the negative things that happen in medicine so we ended up using parts of the book as references in the title and so like just for some background like as much as much nothing as possible in its entirety is the rule that the best delivery of medical care is to do as much nothing as possible, um, which I wholeheartedly believe like um, we do too much sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, the other one, they can always hear you more is in reference to medical training um, and then go to ground. Uh, it's a reference to old people. They always fall in the hospital. And so these are all like kind of tied into that book. Uh, hopefully the author doesn't send us a cease and desist now, but uh, now that that's out there, but so there are these subtle references, but like really overt things like that, like make it very clear, like we're in that field. I don't like, I, I want to like, I like having some subtleties about it, but it's not the entire identity of the band. Well, no, especially. And, and when I said there aren't like overt references, like I'm not, we're not talking about like carcass lyrics, like, like, or album <laughs> title, discanting the insalubrious, like, you know, like things that like legitimately came from, I, I believe, I believe he uh, he was reading from like mortuary science books and the like when he was writing the lyrics. And that was all alliterations toward veganism with with carcass, but more so bands like General Surgery, where they're using like legitimate like terminology just as the driver for the lyricism. That's not the case with you guys. It's 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 a lot more, like I'd said, more human, uh, more emotional. Um, I'd, I'd found, and I, f I find it very interesting that people that are 10 years younger than me and younger are as interested in a musical style that was very prevalent when I was 10 years old, nine years old, when I was first really like consuming music, when MTV was first a thing, the cure, uh, the clash all the way to Susie and the Banshees and, and, you know, sisters of mercy, even the, these styles are infiltrating a younger, more vibrant community. Uh, where, where do you think that found its impetus? It is actually really interesting. Cause I feel like we went through like the post-punk revival of like the early two thousands. And that was really like the first, big wave of something like that i mean there's always like the very 90s like ethereal wave goth that like it could be a little corny but it is still like a departure from like that really post-punk uh sound of like bands like the chameleons or you know the cure or whatever yeah. and then like you know 
bands like Interpol came around and like kind of created this uh, revival, um, but then kind of like faded away again. And now we're kind of coming back up now. I want to say like probably 2013 uh, to like 2018, there was that big surge uh, of bands that came back and, and, you know, gained a lot of popularity. But I want to say like social media in a way has also kind of fueled this. And so, uh, you know, I, I am not like really up to date with like stuff like TikTok. And like, I, I try to be, cause I feel like so much music discovery for like younger people really happens in that, that arena. Yeah. And so like, I'm trying my hand at it. And like, I see like 14 year olds, like making all this, like ranking their top favorite goth bands of like the cure and Depeche mode. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. Cause like when I was 15, like, I like punk and hardcore. Like yeah, I would have thought I would have, I probably would have thought like the cure was lame when I was 18. It wasn't until like I was eight, like 18 um, that like, I really kind of found an interest in like, like dark music in general. And I listened to like a lot of power electronics and industrial and stuff like that yeah. back then. And so it's been more of like a progression in that sense, but now like really young kids are finding like this genre and like really kind of reinventing it in a weird way that, like, I don't know, like, I, I think hyperpop, even though I know that's like a Spotify uh, created term, like, is actually like the perfect amalgamation of like 2000s era children who have been raised on the internet yeah. and injecting that influence into like punk music. So like, I'm not a huge fan of like 100 Gex by any means, but like, it takes like element, like, I think it's probably one of the most punk things that's out there right now, in the sense that like, it's you know done in a diy fashion anybody with a computer can do it you don't need to have money to even like get involved in that type of music and it's it's unique and refreshing in the sense that like they're taking like their experience of like you know you know like on aim chat and like myspace and like all this stuff and like and how that actually influences the type of music and post-punk is now i feel like starting to go that same way when i come across like artists who are actively using TikTok, it's very much that like it's like the hyper pop what hyper pop is to like pop music like the new like wave of like post-punk on TikTok is to like goth music in general so it's yeah. kind of cool to see the evolution but don't really know where it came from <laughs> to be perfectly honest well, but uh, I, i'm here I, for I it i can say i can say in all honesty like in in my generation going to hardcore shows in the late 80s like you look behind me i have a gorilla biscuits figure right over there i have the cure right over here i named my daughter after a a song on that record as a matter of fact like these things kind of like coexisted in the 80s and early 90s guys my age and older than me you know we were into as as much into the cure and my bloody valentine as we were into gorilla biscuits and judge and black flag and youth of today it all made sense just because it wasn't for everybody else it was like behind this wall of uh alternative uh very very like light euphemism on alternative but you know they're like it 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 always felt left of center so it always worked together now i thought it was interesting when you said you started out on hardcore so you probably would have thought the cure was corny where was the disconnect for you there were you just like it's just about like being tough and or... <laughs> i mean i think to some degree like i mean my musical tastes have definitely gone through like different iterations throughout time and so i remember like the very first show i went to i was 12 and it was motorhead dropkick murphys and hatebreed all on tour um i'm wearing a hatebreed was... shirt right now <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm wearing a i think a good friend of mine down in uh, san diego has a like a leather company uh called ltl co 
uh, put that plug out there for him. Uh, his name's Wayne. He played in, uh, oh, Jesus, what band was he in? Grave Digger, is that the name of him? No, I don't know. He was in some band with like dudes from like Comeback Kid that was pretty big back in 2000s. Anyway, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, so like my interest was kind of in that. And like, I remember, so a, a good friend of mine in middle school, his dad owned a record store. And so like, that was like where I got my information from in terms of punk. And so like, that's that's really kind of like, I spent so much time in that record store growing up. Like I even worked in that record store as a teenager just for store credit to to buy records. And so I was really into like, first thing I got exposed to is like UK 82 style punk. And then from that, I got into like hardcore. I remember like seeing Hatebreed. I was like, wow, this is, su- this is super cool. Like this mm-hmm. is, uh, this is really gnarly. And then, <laughs> uh for ages 14 onward like started getting into just some some weird shit i remember like the locust was like a big interest of mine back then i remember seeing them on tour with like lightning bolt and arab on radar it was like i must have been like 2002 oh really yeah oh that's amazing yeah my old band yeah what was your old band uh we were called the distalysis compendium we were like uh we uh if you could imagine if yes was really fucking heavy we were like that (laughs) that's a great that's a great picture to 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 imagine um yeah and from like there like i mean 16 on like i got really into like post-punk no wave stuff i was in a like a no wave type band when i was 16 with a great friend of mine um and put out some records with that band and like that was my first real foray into like being an artist so to speak and so um yeah when i was 14 like the cure probably wouldn't have like sat well with me like in terms of just like it wasn't what i I was into at that moment and like my exposure was so pretty limited at that point in time like but come around 18 is when i like really kind of got into that which i mean it feels so long ago now but and to be fair that wasn't a part of your childhood like you weren't growing up with the cure on the radio per se no Um, and a lot of my music yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of the music that I was exposed to, like in early childhood, uh, came from like records my dad had. And like, so my dad like played guitar and was a big influence on like, uh, music was just always around. Like we always listened to music. And so like, but like, it was, it was stuff like Dire Straits, which is awesome. Mark I love Dire Straits. Yeah. yeah, I love it. But it was very different. Like, or, or like Meatloaf, Fat Out of Hell was like, never left my turntable when I was eight years old, you know, like, and Jim, so like that was Jim Steinman, another genius. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, wouldn't, think, we wouldn't have sisters of mercy floodland without him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it was a little bit different exposure in terms of like, I wasn't, didn't really have access to like what was on the radio. Like I lived in the middle of nowhere growing up and like, um, what, what I did get was Canadian radio, um, yeah. which in the nineties was probably like the most amazing thing ever. Cause Canada had like, their own weird wave of alternative rock that never really made its way into the States, but it's like super good. Um, so yeah. But it seems to me though, like, like people your age and younger are really getting it right too, where it, it, we tried in the early two thousands, like Interpol was very good. Don't get me wrong. There were a few glaring examples of people who were kind of like taking the post-punk thing and making it modern again. But it seems to me that like, you know, you guys, lesser care, soft kill, like you're doing it your own way. Everyone's doing it in their own fashion. Uh, And it's phenomenal to see. But I I think what you guys do in particular that is very interesting is you're you're embracing the pop elements of it and, and you're not shying away from it and you're making it really listenable and really beautiful without 
making it like cheesy. I appreciate that. I think like it's so hard because I'll be perfectly honest. When I sit down to write a song, like I've tried hard to just like emulate exactly what I hear. Like I'll try to like basically rewrite a, a chameleon song or something. And it never like comes out that way, probably for the best. But like, uh, I mean, the influence is there. But like at the end of the day, like I try to make a song that has a hook that's catchy because that's what I want to hear. Like I write, honestly, I, I kind of just write music for me. Like if nobody listened to it, like, I mean, that'd be a bummer, but like, I'll still listen to it. I don't give a, I'm, I don't give a shit. I'm one of the people I'll listen to my band. Like I, there's no shame in that. If, if people are embarrassed by like listening to your own band, like why are you even making the music to begin yeah. with? Like oh, if you don't like it, then like what, what's the deal? So uh, ultimately first and foremost, I write music that I like. And so, um, and that, that comes with that kind of pop element. Like, I would honestly, I'd love to be able just to like write a really dark, like morose sounding, like thing, like, like early soft kills, like fantastic. Like, and I would love to be able to write something like at the, like the first album. Um, but like, I just, I can't, <laughs> it ends up like anytime I do it, like it ends up getting a little bit more on that poppy side. And at first I was like, I didn't really embrace it with this new album. Like, I'm like, fuck it. We're, we're doing it. Like, write a pop song like at the end of the day like write a song that's that's catchy that you like and and the majority of the songs on there i, I don't really see as goth not even really like post-punk in the true sense like they're just kind of more like pop songs i guess like i don't know i hear i the only influence i could say directly like mm, i can kind of hear that is depeche mode and and that's just with the newer singles and that's like that's a compliment coming from me. Like well, Depeche, I appreciate that. Depeche Mode is <laughs> one of my all-time favorite bands. Like Violator changed my entire view on pop music, but I, I see that, and only because it's poppy. And we are all children of the Beach Boys and the Beatles, whether we realize it or not. So it's 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 almost inescapable if you have an ear for music that you're going to write something that's listenable, and you know creates an uplift even if it does have a dark hue and that's legitimately what's happening here to me it, it's it's really well written pop music with a very dark hue now on this upcoming record are we still even though you said admittedly it's 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 in a pop milieu is it still dark lyrically yeah lyrically and musically i think um i mean there's like one track in particular which is the, the song that closes the album uh, that might be one of my favorite songs I've ever written. Uh, that is just the, probably one of the darker things that we've we've done uh, in terms of just like the uh, the sound and uh, and, and lyrically. Um, lyrically, though, like the majority of the album, I think I mean, trying to like go through some of this, like are really just about like honestly, life sucks sometimes, and like accepting that that is part of just the, the condition of living, um, you know, especially like, I don't know, just like from, from a medicine perspective, we've always like wanted to like make everything perfect in terms of curing disease, curing depression and all this stuff. But some of these things are just kind of necessary aspects of living that we also need to just learn to live with and accept. And so a lot of the songs, um, like a cry for help in particular, um, uh, minimal change or really just about like shit sucks <laughs> yeah. and and that's not necessarily always a bad thing um a lot of it's about feeling stuck in a place which i think a lot of people can relate to and you know especially a lot of this was written towards the tail end of medical school for us and so uh, a lot of these feelings of like 
this big transition of life coming to where like we've now had to like we've been in school for the longest period of time almost forever and now we're now entering a workforce and like that comes with a lot of stress a lot of changes um and so like not necessarily the most darkest lyrically in terms of like the album itself but it has its moments um the last song on the album is called the picture on the wall and that's the one that i think stands out in terms of like if you like dark shit, that's probably the song for you <laughs> the first song on the album is probably the poppiest thing we've ever done um and it's also my favorite on the album so uh, maybe a little something for everybody in that regard now you're all coming from like a medical bent you're seeing some of the darkest shit. like and like i come from a different world i'm my degrees in english but you know, I come from a, a seedier end of life. <laughs> and I would still think that you see darker shit than I've ever seen because you're 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 in a hospital environment. You're seeing people at their fucking worst, at their most dire, their most dismal. Uh how does that not come through <laughs> musically? You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's just trying to compartmentalize personal life from musical life. And and there's obviously like a certain degree that needs to cross over. Um, but I think like kind of what we were alluding to earlier, like we don't want to be defined as like, that's our gimmick, you know, mm -hmm. which, which is hard. Um, Cause it is such a major aspect of our life. But I think the reason why we even started the band in the first place is to escape from that side of life and having yeah. that. And so like for it to be like the, a larger influence than it currently is would almost like, defeat that entire purpose and so but but it's true like i mean you know working like i think the last time when i was trying to set up this this uh, uh call with you like i was in the icu at the time and like yeah. death is all around you um you know to the lack of like like not not for lack of trying like you you know you're obviously there, you're trying to, to save people but it's just like something that happens and being able to digest that and then even like compartmentalize it like it's very hard to be like a truly empathic individual in the medical field because it just eats you alive and so you know we all go into the field because we we care and we want to help people and everything like that but it takes a certain degree of like emotional iq and emotional maturity to be able to to separate your own personal individual feelings from you know everything that's around you because it, it will drag you down professional distance is a big big deal in that sort of environment i'd imagine um, I worked in a nursing home for a few years and that's because I minored in sociology and that it destroyed me within two and a half years. I could have never made it as a doctor because I was yeah. fucking wrecked the whole time. But it, I'm not even talking about like from a gimmick standpoint, from a lyrical standpoint, more from like a psychic standpoint. <laughs> this is more for you to slough that off than to, you know, shoot it through a prism that yeah, I mean, it's definitely influenced because a lot of the the things that I sing about, like, are things that you know we're all feeling in the moment, and I think that is a condition of of our employment and our training, and everything like that. Um, but I, I prefer to keep it that way, in in a, in a way that's much more generalizable to people yeah. than to do a very niche like singing specifically about things that you know we witness in patient care and i also think to some degree too that there's like a professional boundary that needs to take place too like yeah. in, in the medical field like you are in a different position where like not only are you dealing with very like personal uh things with uh, patient care but on top of that like there's a lot of legal stuff that's around that too and i think um you know i try to respect patient 
care as much as possible and not like really try to factor that in. Cause I don't want, I wouldn't want somebody to like take care of my, you know, dying mom, for example, and then find out they wrote a song about it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like, so trying to have like some sort of boundary too, I think is helpful in that regard. How do how do you, um, actually the collective of you all find time because that's a very time intensive position. I mean, I have personal friends who are physicians, who are oncologists, who like, they just, it takes, it eats so much of their time. Like it, it's tough. It's tough to even find time to like take a couple, like a day off. Yeah, you know no, I mean? it's, it's, it's impossible. I think uh, when the band started, so first of all, like it was initially just me, as I mentioned, it was kind of like just like a COVID project just because I was sitting at home. And uh, in, I think the time before that, that I'd been in a band, it'd been at least 10 years. I was in like, I did vocals for like an agnostic front style hardcore band, which nice. I love, but like very different, different vibe. And so like, I was like, oh, you know, like a lot of people, I should start playing music again. Um, and I was so out of loop at that point in time. Um, but a lot of like the stuff that we had and like instrument wise was actually locked up in our practice. <laughs> like, we had a practice space cause like me and Quentin who ended up playing guitar for us, uh, we were just messing around jamming and stuff like that, but we weren't doing anything serious. Um, and then COVID happened. And so then we couldn't access it. Um, and so uh, I uh, had some synthesizer stuff here and like, that's kind of like what really drove that first demo. Cause it was, it's drastically different. It might as well not even be the same project, but I didn't want to like change the name. So, yeah. uh, so here we are, but, um, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Remind me what we were just talking about. <laughs> no, we, we were just talking about fi finding that time. Finding time. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, so yeah. So during that period of time, like when we were in training and COVID first happened, we were pulled from the hospitals for a couple months. And so it actually provided so much extra time for, for Quentin and I to really kind of get together. And that's when we wrote uh, all of the first EP as much, nothing as possible. Um, once that took place and like, we were going back in the hospital, finishing our rotations and stuff, it was still able to find some time here and there to do some things. I think as we scaled the band up to include more people and, you know, we put more records on, you know, under our belts and we started to play shows, uh, cause you could play shows again, like, the time commitment increased like drastically. And so during, luckily, so last year medical school is notoriously like much more chill period um, because you've already done a lot of your main requirements. You get a lot of time off because you have to apply for residency and do all this stuff. And so that was like the perfect time. Like we ended up doing our first album and then writing and recording the second album, like all within this period of time that we had, because we knew that after you know the start of this year that we're currently in like we would not have a lot of time um somehow we managed to fit uh a tour i mean a short tour but a tour nonetheless uh with doused um into that period of time as well and and so now we're at the, the point where like we want to go do like a west coast tour we had some time picked out but like because we're actually in the workforce now yeah, uh, we have to put in our schedules like a, literally a year in advance. And so it's just not in the cards for like this, uh, this year. So June, uh, is when we'll be able to like reconvene and figure out what the plan is going forward. Um, and the hard thing is too, is like a lot of us are going to be redistributed. So in June, I have to move to Philadelphia. Oh. Um, yeah. And then Quentin, our guitar player will likely also have to be down in Pennsylvania while Dylan, our bass player is staying in Boston. So that's my um, hood, Pennsylvania. That's where I'm at. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, so Quentin hails from Schuylkill, Schuylkill County, 
Um, right by me. He's out, he's out that way. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So yeah, he's out that way. Uh, I'd be uh, moving down to Philly in June. And so um, we'll be able to do like a lot of stuff still. Um, shows are going to probably happen a little less frequently, but we we were doing like a show a month and like, that's just not sustainable. Like I I'm too old for that. <laughs> like I, I would love it, but like, man, my bedtime is early. I have a, I have a baby now. Like, so all these things like really kind of impacted, but we try to like find time for it as much as we possibly can, which so you're a you know, family man how, too on top of all this. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a kid who's almost seven months now. And so, um, trying to tour on top of that is also like a very difficult thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I got myself into, honestly. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm for like I said, I'm 46. I have a three year old and a 21 year old. So, uh, wow, that's the gap. That's the gap. 18 years, but <laughs> I, I, it's you're better off doing it now, man. Oh yeah, and it's like it's the coolest thing in the world, honestly. Like I would not want to give that up for anything. So. You know, if for whatever reason it, that's what it came down to is, you know, family or the band, like it's an obvious choice. But you luckily, like you could still yeah. be a band. You just don't tour. You just don't, you know, that's I mean? such a hard thing, you know, because I think that like we're still at a point where like touring is like this this necessary thing that really has to take place to to be able just to get like any kind of recognition in, in, in music. And and it's really important because like touring is just like a like a waste of money like it, it's just truly a waste of money we got so lucky we somehow like at least broke even maybe even made like a little bit when we uh, did our tour with douse just because like we booked all the shows ourselves like we you know really streamlined our back line so we were able to like just drive cars and not have to rent a van and do all this stuff and we uh had like hotel points saved up or stuff like that and um but if you're like trying to do a full-scale like us tour or like tour like half of the year like it's just it's just impossible at this point in time it, even like for small artists so um i i don't like it i wish like we were at a, a point where like it wasn't necessary but that's still kind of the way it is and <laughs> no. and, and it's fun it's yeah, fun it's, but like it's, it's fun. fun but it's not fun at the same time <laughs> It's not fun being away from your family. And you toured with Dows from Portland or Doused? Doused from Philly from on Philly, uh, Flesh okay. and Bone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I have a relationship with Dows from Portland. That's why I asked. But no, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm originally from Portland. So I moved to, to Boston from Portland, Oregon. Um, grew up there, but I don't, I don't know Dows Port from Portland no, on a personal there, level. There, uh, listen, there's something about people from Portland making dark music that is it, it's prevalent in this time period right now if you haven't noticed there's probably about like a dozen really good bands from the portland area that are making dark music that's dark melodic and fantastic i don't know what's going on up there maybe maybe that's Poor the new portland man <laughs> well portland's i don't know portland's interesting because like when i when i grew up in portland so i lived there for like the vast majority of my life I'm, i only moved out to, to boston um God, I must've been like 32. So not even like maybe five years ago. Um, so the music scene in Portland has always really been more of like this weird indie pop focus. Like that's been like the bread and butter of Portland music. Like when I was a teenager and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I remember going to shows and it'd be like Quasi and Slater Kenny and uh, a lot of like really cool, like slow core bands, like kind of like Spitting was from Portland and like all that stuff. Um, and that was like the bulk of it. And then out of nowhere, like they they had their own like weird like kind of death rock post punk renaissance that happened. 
with mm. like bands like Arctic Flowers. Uh, and it was it was really kind of sad because like it was like 2011. I was in a, a death rock band. I played drums in it in Portland, uh, and we like missed the wave. Like it was just <laughs> didn't happen. And then like bands like Bellicose Mind and like uh, all that kind of came out and like kind of put. I feel like that was the shift of like dark music in Portland uh, really kind of taking hold. Um, and it, it was always like you know. Portland always had like a fantastic crust scene, like I think all like the Memphis transplants, like Tragedy and From Ashes Rise and Remains of the Day and all those bands. So like I feel like that dark vibe had always been present, but now like within like the the goth realm, I think there's been a bigger a bigger uh, presence, which is which is great. And in Portland is dark, it's dreary. Um, you know, growing up in Portland, like it always was kind of a, a shithole. Like that's just kind of like the nature of Portland. Yeah. And you'll, you'll hear people complain all the time about Portland. They'll be like, oh, Portland got so bad. It used to be so nice. Portland was never nice. Portland <laughs> was always a dump, yeah. right? But then in the 2000s, people from California came, priced everybody out, made it nice, gentr gentrified it a bunch, and now they all left. And now it's just returning back to its natural state. And people don't realize that. And so, like, um, there's always been, like, a lot of, like, sadness and like despair associated with that city so it makes total sense yeah the the dream of the 90s is not still alive in portland i hate to tell people no matter what portlandia tells you um it, it is funny that it kind of got uh that push in the early 2000s though where like you know the portlandia came out and people were like we're moving to portland and it got really cool really fast and I, like you were saying i remember the portland of of tragedy and and the whole crust thing that's kind of how i had seen portland because i was big into that shit and i remember going there and i remember it being real shitty i remember seeing a lot of prostitutes a lot of meth heads a lot of just gnarly shit you know what i mean it's oh absolutely just, it's just i lived in manhattan in the early 90s you you ran from gunfire in the early 90s in manhattan now you go there to buy a latte you know what i mean it's it's a whole different it's a whole different vibe but portland's always been a really interesting microcosm in, in terms of stuff like that like it's always been a very like sex work prominent city just in the sense of like uh, like one of my favorite factoids about portland is it has the highest number of strip clubs per capita than any other city in the country mm -hmm. um and it's by virtue of just like the laws that are there that allow um you know certain certain things to take place uh that don't always happen other places so it's, it's a big industry there and it's so much more widely accepted like it's just such a very normalized thing whereas here in boston like there's none it's like none like uh which i think is also another historical thing but like um so portland has always had like a very kind of seedy um past and that especially when you go out east towards like 82nd avenue where like a lot of that kind of takes place a lot of the the um you know uh a lot of sex work um you know survival sex work stuff like that and a lot of drug use takes place um but it, it always been present in like downtown area too i used to live in chinatown and like it was that was the norm you just go out and like people were using actively on the streets and like you just mind your own business don't do anything like and then it kind of you know and portland portland's got its own issues we don't need to necessarily go too into the weeds about that but like the city right, has but, done such a poor job of like managing everything and uh the housing crisis in portland is just it's really unfortunate and so there's a lot of people who are in like really unfortunate position in portland i think primarily due to 
a lot of the gentrification that took place, pricing people out of these areas that were normally lower income uh, residential neighborhoods that then turned into like the hot spots of like, yeah, like the coffee shops and all that stuff. And yeah, I'm just glad I'm just glad I'm out of there. <laughs> yeah. And you're just going to another city that's been a party to the same shit because Philly is not much better, but it's better. It's a little yeah. better. I'm not going to lie, depending upon where you're moving in Philadelphia. But you know, I still got to figure that part out. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you cross that bridge when you get to it. But it stands with that being said, it stands to reason why there was such uh, a renaissance of, of dark music there. But when it comes to someone like yourself coming from a place like that, you didn't fall victim to it uh, quite the opposite you did you kind of like more aspire to make it out unscathed so to speak uh you know it, it's so in portland everybody has like their own story with like drug use drug addiction whether it's like affecting them personally or people they know and it's i mean it's that's just how prevalent it is like i you know i know soft kill sings a lot about it but like you just everybody knows like a, a huge handful of people who have overdosed you know uh committed suicide anything like that and so like um i was i was in a position to see a lot of my friends kind of go down paths like that and like so like one of my good friends um jerry uh he was originally from cincinnati and he moved out to portland and we met when i was like 14 and started bands and we were like in numerous bands like he, he just like that one person that you always just start a random band with and put out like a tape or something yeah. um and we you know best friend growing up we had like the same music taste like the dude was just a genius like he just somebody who like would have amounted to like supreme greatness but like just never had his life together enough to like really do it and so uh i remember too like this dude was like a vegan straight edge guy right and then like all of a sudden you know that the, the old story of like hurt my back because i'm a personal care assistant for somebody in a wheelchair um i started taking the oxycodone couldn't get any more of that started like he ended up like getting into opium which i'm just like what kind of old timey is <laughs> that like smoking opium yeah um but then that led into him using heroin and he was always like and we were still like in band still doing stuff and we even like lived together a lot of this period of time which was a nightmare and uh i remember he was always just like oh it's fine i'm just smoking it as long as i don't shoot up like there's always a line that yeah. uh, he would like establish and it eventually would always get crossed like there's always something else that like would push it past that like out of necessity into where he was actively using so like he ended up moving out of portland because like you're just surrounded by it like i think like when i had a punk house like when i was like in my 20s like that i was the, somehow the person responsible for it which worst worst experience in my life yeah like punk house nine, suck. yeah literally everybody was using uh it was it was just insane like you wouldn't know like it just that's how it ended up happening so like and um so he ended up moving out of portland because you just can't like get away from stuff like that and he ended up overdosing in, in cincinnati and dying mm -hmm. um and so it's like i mean maybe portland's not necessarily to blame 100 but like and it's just so ingrained in like the punk culture there that like it's so hard to escape and so like i guess when you do see a lot of it like and it's in your face all the time like you know avoiding it you know if you're lucky enough to like it gives you that motivation to like just like not not end up like your friends you know yeah yeah it's the same with scranton pennsylvania where i'm from you know we were 
we were and still are a hotbed of heroin and opioid addiction, abuse and prostitution and that whole vibe. And I went the other way. <laughs> I just made it out because somebody somewhere likes me. I don't know who it is. <laughs> that 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 entity certainly does. But there's a there's a, that double edged sword because it's, you know, the, the shittiness, but also, you know, the music. They they somehow they somehow go hand in hand. And they, and, they are entwined. <laughs> and and it's incredible that you got to not only, you know, move on to medical school to become a medical doctor and are creating amazing music. Um, is it a similar story with the rest of the guys, or it's just a mixed bag? I think like so me and Quentin like had kind of similar upbringings because like I've I've never been to the Pottsville where he's from, but you know, I, he paints a picture of it not being like, yeah, not being the greatest, greatest area. And, uh, and same thing with me, like even before Portland, I lived up in like, uh, Northwest, uh, Washington state where like same thing, rural blighted communities of like industry that used to prosper there that all like went overseas. And now like nobody has a job anymore and like just hit hard by like the drug epidemic. And so we have this experience and like, none of the like nobody in our families are like in medicine or even adjacent and so like being like first generation people like trying to navigate the process was like a very unique and interesting thing and like my background is like blue collar like i was actually a union pipe fitter before i ever even went to school i'm a I union pipe fit. fitter get the fuck out ua i'm a union yeah. pipe fitter yes sir yeah, i was so i i was uh, i was in ua local 290 out of portland uh, <laughs> amazing wow what a random random yeah. occurrence yeah so i did that um i i did the did the full apprenticeship all five years yep. i was a journeyman foreman even general foreman for you know an additional five years so i did it like for a total of 10 years and i did that just because my old man like did it and that's just like what Me you too. do yeah and so like that's just kind of like how it ended up working out and then i knew like uh, this wasn't, you know, exactly what I wanted to do. It just didn't like have like the same kind of like mental stimulation I felt like I needed. And a lot of it was getting kind of like, especially when you get to the position of like being a foreman or a general foreman, and you're not working, uh, with, with the tools just cause you can't like, it just didn't have the same appeal to me. I missed like being out in the field welding or like, you know, detailing and stuff like that. So like it was, it was a change for me, but like, you, it's not like a common story you hear of somebody who's like, used to be a pipe fitter and is now in medicine. And so like, um, very different than like a lot of the other people that like, I, you know, met through throughout medical school and everything like that. And then Dylan, um, Dylan who plays bass, like he, uh, I think his dad's like a physicist or something. So he's, he's had like an academic background in that sense, but has always been still like kind of on the fringe in terms of like his personal taste and stuff. And so, um, so it is kind of interesting to see like how people get led to that path while yeah. still having like an interest in the subcultures that they do, because there's just not a lot of crossover, honestly, you know? See, I went to, I went to NYU and I was, you know, going to be a professor. I ended up having a child, but you know, I was, I got my degree in English lit and did my four years of school, went right into the apprenticeship <laughs> at 21 <laughs> years old, because I was like, what am I going to do with my life? This yeah. isn't gonna, this isn't gonna amount to well, shit. And that's <laughs> and what's crazy too is like it's such a good deal. Like people don't realize like how good you actually have it. Like 
I yeah. honestly probably would have made more money in the long run if I stayed a pipe fitter. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the, the lost uh, wages and the amount of money that I've had to invest in like education and stuff like that. But like, I don't know what it was for, for your local, but for us, it was a five-year apprenticeship and you know, yeah, fully paid. Yeah, yep. Fully paid. I think when I started, uh, which was 2005, maybe, um, the the apprentice uh, wage was $15 an hour, which was crazy back. They were like, wow, 15 bucks an hour. And, you know, in every six months, you get like a $3 raise. And so like, by the time I became a journeyman, I was making like 36 bucks an hour, which, you know, there's a lot of things that pay better than that now. I think like the journeyman wage uh, in Portland now is significantly higher than that, like maybe in the 50s. But like, yeah, and you it get was like 27 bucks an hour in, in hourly benefits too. On oh yeah, the benefits were amazing. And then like the overtime. And so like, you know, you can easily clear a hundred thousand dollars a year, like mm-hmm. as a as a journeyman pipe fitter or plumber, or actually really any of the major trades, electrician or whatever like that. And like people still look down on it, like because it wasn't like this traditional path of going to college. Um, you know, and it's just not taught like that. That's a viable path for like kids in high school anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, it's so so crazy. So like, I I you know, I would much rather like my son go into doing something like that than going into being a doctor (laughs) personally. Like, um, but you'll never get laid off, dude. (laughs) Well, uh, we'll see about that. But the thing is like getting laid off in, in, in construction, it's nice too. Like, I mean, as long as you've like planned for it, like getting, getting unemployment and you, you know, you're not on the hook for looking for a job. Like, I miss those, I miss those days, you know, well, actually the only like, thing I miss is like, well, I only miss welding. That's because running work, it's completely different, but like, you know, you, you get, you bend a rod and you bang it in and you know, like you just hear it hit the, and you know, you got that weld right. Cause you hear it suck in. Like there's just, yeah. sat, there's a satisfaction to that. That's unlike people don't understand like to me that's like being a doctor almost because you know you got that right like it's not you're not going to get any bleed out with that done you know there's a there is a satisfaction a hands-on satisfaction so i could see kind of the uh, reciprocity between being a a physician and being a fitter in that regard you know what i mean the the carryover between the two like is just insane so like actually it's funny because i've written essays about this for different things and like uh, just even like the whole entire premise of like medical education is based on an apprenticeship system. So it's, it's identical to, to the apprenticeship system I went through as pipe fitter. Like you're, you know, you're at the bottom of this hierarchy. Yeah. Um, you, a majority of your training is done on the job. So like medical school, you do rotations, but like when you're an apprentice, like you're working 40 plus hours a week still, we had to go to class two nights a week. Yeah. yeah. Go to class two nights a week. Um, you learn directly from, from the, the journeyman that you're working with, uh, you know, so, so it's all very much like the same exact thing. It's a trade at the end of the day, but even then beyond that, like the diagnostic stuff. So like halfway through my apprenticeship, you know, as a piper, I actually made a switch over to do HVAC and controls for a while, yeah. which I thought was fun. I ended up going back to doing like, I did orbital welding because we had a lot of like semiconductor plants and I'm sure this is like the most riveting conversation for your listeners right now. But well, like- <laughs> for, for me, I mean, I do, I do orbital welding. I understand. Oh really? Yeah. yeah okay. So yeah. yeah. So I did orbital welding at places like Intel and stuff and like, and it's chill. It's great. You press the button. Like, I mean, there's some, there's some effort that goes in that. You got to know like the, the right settings, everything like that. But like, um, when I did like HVAC and controls, like a lot of it is diagnostics, like trying to yeah. figure out like how to approach the, you know, 
uh, a component of the HVAC system system that doesn't work anymore. Or even just like the biomechanics of like the human body greatly mimic like a pump and a, a like a compressor for for that. And like it, yeah. it's all the, it's all the same stuff at the end of the day. Like it's it's almost identical. So like um, it it helped me probably way more than. I think I, I could ever appreciate. And I think it put me in a, in a position too. Cause like, honestly, the vast majority of people that end up going to medical school, like, and you know, good for them. I wish I had like their tenacity to like do this at an earlier age, but like for a lot of them being a doctor is their first job. Like yeah. that's just kind of how it works out. Right. So, um, having like work experience, especially in like a field like the trade which is like rough <laughs> for, for yeah. a lot of people and it's so drastically different like it's just a different perspective and like you know at least now when i get somebody who's like you know they were like in the shipyards for like 40 years like coming in as a patient like i have that you have a frame degree of, of like yeah I, I know what their experience is to some degree and like you know can't take that into context for like their medical care and stuff like that so it's, it's interesting, but like, um, I ended up going back. And so after undergrad, I had like a summer where I knew I had to like get some money to move to Boston. So like I went back and worked in the trade for an additional three months just to make some money. And, uh, well, you kept your card up. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I let it, man. I let it lapse now, but like it, it was, it was up still, um, back then. And so like I went back and worked a job and, it was it was it was affirming that I was like I was okay I'm happy in the direction I'm heading in life but it was it was you know it was fun for those three months like getting back in there working breathing in all this silica dust that I'm sure is going to give you cancer later in life and, oh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I'm going to yeah. die of mesothelioma that's going to be my yeah, yeah. My, my water uh, for to, sure we used to just rip asbestos off like no yeah. big deal like yes. <laughs> spray it with a little bit of red red slime and then see you later. Yeah. But you know that was like I still do it, man. I still do shit on the side like that. Like I, I'll do a rip out in somebody's basement and put in uh, either a new steam system or a new uh, hydronic asbestos everywhere. I'm chewing it. Like yeah, take care of yourself. <laughs> it's, it's important to, to to live a long life. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm already like three quarters of the way there, probably. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I guess what we could get out of the pipe fitter gig because I could go on about that shit all night. That's been my life. Yeah, yeah. The eighties. Yeah. We'll, we'll save that for another an yeah. off, off camera conversation. <laughs> yes. I love it though. I love that you were a fitter. That makes me so happy. But it's um, very random. <laughs> yeah, it's that's so fucking weird. But you know what? That's how. That's just how normal. Like normal. That really is. Like coming from blue collar. Uh, you know that that type of lifestyle. I think that kind of cements us in the punk thing too, because that's kind of like the root, right? Yeah. You know, like th there's no elitism truly like other than the fact that I'm punk. So I'm cooler than everyone who's not punk, but within the, the confines of the punk scene, like blue collar, that's the, that's the pinnacle. I work for a living boys on the docks, you know, oi, 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 that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, the whole like skinhead aesthetic that's, that's pinnacle. That's, what we kind of like had striven toward at one point or another. I don't know what made me think I'm going to go and, you know, go after this degree, this, this English degree. I should have just gone into the trades off the hop, but I, yeah. I, thought, I thought I needed it to be a writer. Really? That's, well, that, that's, that's the lie they all tell us, man. They say, go to college, do all this stuff. 
mm-hmm. there's there's other viable options you know and, sure. and i think there's there's definitely something about like being in you know the trade where you know don't get me wrong man like capitalism bad like you know your employer like your job shouldn't be your life like all this stuff like um but there is a certain degree of like pride in, in work that that comes with that and like you see something that you built like from nothing and the degree of craftsmanship that goes into that it's just like that's not something you really find in any other facet of life i feel like um it's just it's a very unique thing to that and so you know it's it, it's cool like and i definitely get why like all the white bands sing about like you know work working the job and like all that stuff so i think yeah. the same thing with with creating music though like as a fellow musician as well you're you know giving you're breathing life into nothing okay so like you're you're taking just an idea like an inkling pulling it from the ether and giving it legs you know like verse chorus verse whatever uh it you're you're making something from nothing which is almost in my opinion a stronger you know like like there's there's more of a god complex almost in it that you're taking complete nothingness and giving life to dust you know and and, yeah i think with music too it's like because it's it's you it's you're the one who's creating it like when you're given a set of blueprints like the engineer had already been there it's been approved like but here you are making something for yourself like out of nothing there's it, it is it is um I think a little bit more fulfilling in that sense yeah and not even just like the, the creation of the music but the actual like distribution and marketing of it is something like i never really had a great appreciation for until got to this point um when i was younger uh i, I had like a, a tape label that put out like noise records and stuff like that like when i was I like in high school noise. and stuff yeah yeah it's like and it was so fun but it was like a very different beast and so like having like a period of 10 years like where i stepped away from music and like was you know uh working the trade essentially like to come back and see just how much the landscape has changed and like how do i actually like get people to hear the stuff that i've just made is like so bizarre it's so unreal because like when last time i was in a band like streaming didn't exist which is like (laughs) so so crazy to think about now because it's so ingrained in, in music but yeah that was what was cool about noise too especially because like uh, what we had were like examples of like cassette labels like triple r and and people like that who were just doing like you know short run cassettes and you'd have people like thurston moore from fucking sonic youth on these labels doing noise that it was very democratized which was very fucking punk rock and going back to what we were talking about before with what these kids are doing on TikTok now, I think as a shadow of that, I think it I think it all kind of comes out in the wash as the same kind of thing, even though we may not a hundred percent see eye to eye with the the uh the aesthetic. Oh, so totally. the, the the ethos is all the same, I feel like. Yeah. And it's it's I think like we have this issue too, even within like post punk goth, like dark wave music, where like there's always this um this like superiority complex that comes with like oh i have like a juno 60 from like you know the 80s and it's like yeah. full analog synth and like i have my euro rack set up i got like all this stuff like original and like oh you're just using like a software like vst to make all your synth sounds like there's so much like elitism that i feel like 
takes place in this and like it's uh it's like the antithesis of punk like yeah. the more the most punk thing would be like download a free app to make music on and like do it like you don't yeah. need to put any money into it like and we've kind of like strayed from that and so like getting back to these like TikTok kids like they're not buying the like <laughs> the, the the jupiter sense like they're they're using like logic or even like maybe garage band like just make something with like a cracked plug in they found on reddit <laughs> like yeah. like yeah. it doesn't get more punk than that honestly they might not look punk but like no but like, punk's not about how you look man it's about like the the ethos behind it so yeah like just because you like we know how to like you know run plugs on moogs and stuff like that that does not make us any cooler than anyone else it just means we had a lot more time on our hands and it was a different era Truly. yeah you know what I mean? And and I'm not Brian Eno. I don't know how to do it like he did either. But it, was it cool? Sure. Because yeah, I'm yeah. A, because I'm a Luddite and I think someone like completely like boots on the ground creating something from nothing is amazing. But I'm a punk at heart and seeing some kid just finding tools that are easily and readily available and expressing himself, that's cooler. There's something yeah. cooler about that on a on a visceral level on, on on an immediate level like that's poetry that's 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 john lyden that's that's joe strummer <laughs> you know what i mean totally totally i'm with you on that i feel like i don't know there's it seems like there's also been somewhat of a shift though like back not to sound like the, the old guy but like back in my day like people just you'd start a band and you just play show like there wasn't like this this um impetus on like getting a certain amount of streams or like, you know, hitting these, these milestones or these benchmarks, like you did it for the love of the game and you played shows and like nobody showed up and that's fine because you still got to play and like your friends might be there. Like, so I feel like that aspect of it is kind of shifted. Um, Cause like now there's all this external reward with like, you know, it feels good to like get your Spotify for artists wrapped at the end of the year and see like how many, people listen to your song like it, it validates you in a way that wasn't possible before mm -hmm. um but i think that kind of just more speaks to like just like how you know dystopic like social media and like the <laughs> internet has really like made how we view our our self-worth and everything like that so i kind of feel bad too because like when that all happened with this podcast like my numbers were at such a rate where i was posting it like ah look how good i did at my fucking i'm pushing 50 bitches and i did this and <laughs> and at first i was like kind of feeling myself and then i i took a step back and i was like this is just stupid what the fuck am i doing it's not even why i do this it's not even why I, I do the podcast but you know yeah it's, i have it, to remind myself like it's all it's all bullshit like at the end of the day like because because here's here's like how because okay after getting involved like with you know doing this band and then like a la carte records put out our first ep like i've been getting more and more involved on the label side of things like as as a partner in the label up until more recently and taking care of like a lot of logistics that's around that and like really kind of seeing how the sausage is made and like everything's a scam like yeah. it's all about the appearance of like having a bunch of people interested so we all send out these press releases to all these blogs that literally nobody reads like just mm -hmm. so we can repost the image of like 
you know, the blog's Instagram saying that they wrote about us. When in reality, nine times out of 10, the blog is just reposting the press release that we wrote for ourselves anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's all this illusion that we're trying to like convince other people that like, Hey, people care about us. And like, yeah. it's the same thing with our Spotify numbers. And like, and, and it's kind of sad too, because like, I see like, I won't name names, but like this came up in conversation. There was a band who, um, who I saw in the post-punk dark wave, like realm who had like, no joke, like 25,000 Instagram followers. I was like, wow, that is wild. Like yeah. that, that is absolutely crazy. And then I go and look at their Spotify and they have 400 monthly listeners. And I'm like, there's a huge disconnect here. And, and it, it kind of sucks that it comes to like that, that you like, you would pay for Instagram followers to create the illusion that people care about your band rather than just like letting things happen organically and like actually creating an audience and like a connection with your audience. And I think that that is what's missing a lot in music now because the this external validation that social media and like that whole presence has really kind of created. Um, that's, that's why I went for the the uh, fanzine kind of like uh, idea with this because I don't I don't buy ad space. I just kind of let it happen. Letting it happen made things happen for this strangely, but I think it has more <laughs> to do. I think it has more to do with how cool the bands i listen to are and all that is is it it's not a testament to anything i do with the show it's a testament to my taste in music you know what i'm that's saying that's always good <laughs> it's it, it, so it basically like people like you made this happen for me so i kind of have to like tip my hat because i i wouldn't even be here without you but there's such oh. there's such good music to be listened to and to be beholden by you know what i mean like it's, yeah I really think that now, and and I'm I'm not one of these people who go back and oh, it was fucking cooler in the late '80s when you know youth crew was happening. Bullshit. I think it's I think music is better now than it has been in my entire life. Well, and that was part of the reason why I'd gone so long without even like really playing music. They, we were in like this weird slump. I feel like where nothing was really resonating with me uh, on, on a musical level, and there were bands that came around like maybe 2015 and onward like soft kill being one of them whereas mm -hmm. like they were they were doing something that like had this like really like obvious influence but still in a way that made it unique and different to where i felt like i wasn't just listening to like a clone of another band and i think that there was a period of time too where like man 2008 like to 2012 like it just the things that were like kind of more dominant the scene just didn't really, like really resonate as much with me there's a lot of like the jay retard stuff like type terminal boredom type punk that like was cool but like it was kind of like one trick pony type thing and yeah. that got a lot of interest and then like um and so i kind of checked out for a while like and now coming back into it you know um with like kind of like a, a, a clean palette like there's so many bands that like are doing incredible things like it's it's, it's like an embarrassment of riches because there's really just like too many good bands yeah. and and it, and it kind of sucks because like you want to be able to like one support all the bands like and celebrate all the bands but then two it's like it just it just kind of hard then if you want to like start a band to like really get attention because there's already so many really good bands that are already out there yeah. uh, that you kind of just need to like do something unique and different which i can't say like we are by any stretch of the imagination but like um shoegaze for example and there are so like there's so many shoegaze bands right now they're like 99 yeah. of them are from philly for some reason i don't know what the deal is 
but this this isn't an issue because they're all great like yeah i can't really think of like a band that i heard like recently a shoegaze band where i'm just like wow this is ass like this is just not good like it's all yeah. really good sometimes you know shoegaze can be a little formulaic or like the same but like there's always bands that are pushing the envelope and like doing new different things like full body two or they're getting a, a body of water or, like stuff like that where they're introducing other aspects of, of different genres to it but like if I were to like start a shoegaze band today, like, man, nobody would probably listen to it. Cause it's just like, why would you, <laughs> there's just so many like really well, good established bands out there right now. So, I mean, I, I think that's another genre though, where we, we kind of have to examine how it infiltrated every aspect of the underground when it happened too, because without shoegaze, you don't get quicksand without quicksand. You really don't get the, the, the post hardcore movement of the early nineties. So like a lot of these things, even though they, they saw a rise and then a drop off, but they never went away because the, the reverberations were always felt. Same with what you guys do. Uh, the, like there are so many examples of bands that come from different pedigrees, but, you know, used the same, you know, ingredients and introduced them and, and allowed this thing to kind of resonate and continue this stuff never goes away. It just gets popular or stays underground. I, I think what's kind of uh, beautiful right now is there's a, an audience for stuff that would have already existed. It's not like I, I think you guys are doing something because this other band was doing something because that band was already doing it because everybody sounds different, as I'd said, but there's an ear for it now. And I think that ear is larger. And I think that ear is more attuned to nuance. And that's why I say, like, this is truly my daughter's generation right now. She being in her early 20s. And this is the generation that doesn't give a shit about genre per se. Doesn't give a shit about appearances. It's just about, is this cool? Yeah. And it's fucking cool now. And that's what's great. And it exists in a time period where major labels don't matter anymore. MTV doesn't even show videos anymore. So it's not about that. Now it's just about quality and the ability to recreate quality. Well, and I what's interesting too is, yeah. And you mentioned pedigree. Like, I think what's really funny too is like when you take, like take any, like any band you currently like in, in, in any kind of adjacent genre of like post-punk shoegaze or whatever, especially if it's like older people who are in the band like i don't know use soft kills like an example multiple times let's like let's just use soft kills as, as an example like yeah you go back far enough like there's like the common denominator between a lot of these bands ours included or like people who are into hardcore <laughs> when they were yeah. younger uh True. and hardcore is it, it's so kind of funny because like it really couldn't be any further off than like a lot of like the shoegaze in the traditional sense like creation records era stuff or like jangle pop like house martins or smiths or anything like that mm -hmm. or even like neo folk man like death in june was like really cool in the hardcore uh yeah. hardcore realm for a while like i blame integrity for that but like you know like there's well, yeah. hard, <laughs> hardcore has a way of like kind of spawning like it, it's a it's a unifying thing for a lot of people who then like find other niche musics uh, that aren't necessarily like directly related. Like, I mean, shoegaze now you can obviously hear like a lot of hardcore influence, um, uh, and, and especially even like in the quicksand era where like that was a little bit more like evident. Um, yeah. Cause now like 
rather than trying to sound like ride i think a lot of shoegaze bands now try to have like more of a quick sand type influence anyway but like yep. um it, it is like the common thread that kind of ties it all together and hardcore introduced me to a lot of stuff like that like when i was when i was 14 and like everybody was like you know all about the smiths and hardcore and like yep. uh that was a big turning point for me too where like that started to introduce me into that kind of thing so uh i blame hardcore for for everything but like it is i think like that that common thread that that ties a lot of it together well what's kind of great about like the hardcore thing is it, like when i was a kid it was very foreign but as you know the 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 late 90s graduated into the 2000s it was entry level weirdo music it was everywhere you know what i mean like deathwish inc was tied to epitaph records at that point because converge had signed to epitaph so like and and the whole screamo which it wasn't fucking screamo screamo happened 20 years before it but what, what people considered screamo was happening yeah. so like it was it was entry level cool guy stuff you know what i mean and 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 it wasn't that far removed you could turn on mtv and get an example of a hardcore adjacent band and go down the rabbit hole really quickly whereas 20 years before when i was a kid you had to know the weirdo skaters with the mohawks who like the punk stuff who <laughs> get you into the hardcore stuff and 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 you know youth crew is just happening as i got into it but what makes hardcore amazing and ubiquitous is it it was surfaced enough via like when sick of it all started to get popular and then quicksand and then orange nine millimeter and the like uh it 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 was like a great little sweet spot for people who were into metal but were more sensitive so they kind of gravitated more towards the weird stuff and you know even nirvana we could blame for it to a degree <laughs> uh because it it gave people who were into like more aggressive music a, a, a mindful place to exist so it's a great jump off point so i can never i'll never shit on hardcore and i'll never discount it because it is the reason i am who i am to a large degree and it's the reason why music that's cool is still cool right now because it gave a place for people like you to jump off into things that are different and cooler but it's still that through line you know what i mean yeah i think it'll never die well and it's interesting too because i you know like i said like i don't i feel like jangle pop and hardcore couldn't be like really much further than they already are but mm -hmm. like it, it gave like kind of like a safe space for like music exploration which i would not have traditionally figured hardcore would right because we you would talk about like the whole tough guy mentality but like yeah it, it it made it okay to like stuff that like you might have gotten beat up for before and so like sheer terror you know, used to cover the smiths man i mean yeah yeah exactly so like um and I think you brought up a couple of interesting things. So, like, one, you mentioned before how, like, Kids Today are, like, bucking the whole idea of, like, genre and everything like that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's part and due to, like, the fact that music discovery is so different now than what it used to be. So you just mentioned, like, what you had to do to find out about new bands. Like, when I was in, like, you got 10 years on me, but, like, when I was young, when I was, like, in my teenage years, if I wanted to find out about a band, I either went to the record store and just picked out a record because it looked like it'd be cool or i knew it was on a label that really something else i like revelation I get, a roadrunner yeah, yeah you turn it over yeah okay. i got the, i got the revelation records compilation 
like yep. Rev 50, which by the way, like there's so there's so much stuff on there that man, Whirlpool is still like one of my favorite bands of like the it. 90s, and nobody talks about it. It's absolutely crazy. Um, I, I there needs to be band like a, a resurgence of bands that does like 90s like alt Rev stuff. Like that would be fantastic. Oh yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, but like Lacing. it was so hard. A band called Lace. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, they kind of do that. I can see that. Yeah. So like, music discovery was just tougher. Like, you had to like get a copy of Maximum Rock and Roll and read the reviews, or like, yep. or look at the insert of the record you just bought and see what bands they thanked, so you can then like go and find That's those a big one. That's a big yeah. one. Yeah. And nobody does. I need to. Man, I should have done that for this album. Like, nobody does that anymore, which is kind of unfortunate. But like, who's reading um, liner notes in this day and age? exactly right so like music discovery is just so different and i mean it's just easier now which is fantastic and it also was kind of interesting too because hardcore i think there's so many different avenues in which people got into it so like i got into hardcore through punk but like that wasn't always like the norm and so like what i think we're experiencing right now is like there's like this whole like new metal resurgence and like i was i was I already listened to a lot of hardcore by the time like new metal was really kind of like taking shape and so like i think at that point in time in the hardcore scene it was like looked down upon like this this sucks like this isn't real is this not hardcore uh yeah. they're, they're playing some like chugga chugga riffs but it's like like people would never admit to liking corn for example like it just yeah, wasn't you know the first time i saw corn they were opening for sick of it all in orange nine millimeter yeah so like and that but that's also kind of what, what's weird about this is like it was such a huge gateway for people into hardcore with stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the age in which people were doing that, I think we're at the point now where like they're, you know, we've been at kind of at this point for the last several years, like with like code orange and stuff like that. But like that influence, I think is starting to show more in hardcore, like the new metal influence. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's also interesting. Cause like, it wouldn't have been something I necessarily would have predicted, um, you know? And so like, I can only think about like, you know, 15 20 years down the road where like the kids who got into hardcore from the new turnstile album what that influence is going to look like in terms of like the hardcore music they make down the road like yeah. it's it's just it's kind of fascinating to think about i don't know i i just i i think i'm here for all of it and being a guy who's you know i remember my my jazz musician father who turned me on to everything from the stones and t-rex to like sunraw um his his disconnect from modern music happened in his 20s he got out of vietnam became a pipe fitter and he shut down right around when jim morrison fucking died pretty much and you know like he still had an ear for cool stuff i, I remember when the chili peppers came out in the 80s i turned my dad on to the chili peppers and he was like this sounds like funkadelic but like with the clash i said yeah that's <laughs> fucking it dad that's it so he's like okay you like good shit but, you know, mostly he was disconnected from new stuff that was happening unless I brought it to him. I'm in a very rarefied state right now where I am well past the age my dad was when I was bringing him shit. And I'm still very open to, like, letting new things occur and, and enjoying new music. I think that speaks more to the music that's happening than to my personality. I think the music's just that good that's still happening it makes it easy when when the music that that you're listening to um allows you to enjoy it <laughs> yeah. i don't know i mean yeah because because i don't know like like i said before when i went through like my slump of just like nothing new was really sounded cool like uh 
it's not like that anymore. Like I feel like now I'm at a point where even compared to when I was younger, I'm more actively seeking out new music than I probably was even like in my teenage years. Yeah. And I think part of it is due to like just how fantastic the bands are. And then coupled with the fact of like how easy it is now, like how democratized it is for like any band can put anything up on Bandcamp. Like I've discovered so many like amazing like demos from Bandcamp that I never would have heard otherwise. And I, I yep. feel like the bands never went off. Oh, I found you. Else. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I found so you. It, it, it works. It works. So, um, so it's, it's different. Cause like back then, like if you wanted to, if you wanted to find a band that only had a demo out, like it was at a show, like you had to catch them at a show and like by the demo, like there was no press about like a lot of those bands. So like it is, it is really cool to, to see now and and furthermore just to be like think about when we were younger listening to music a majority of the bands that we were listening to were only two or three years older than us we weren't listening to guys who were 10 years older than us 20 years older than us now it's okay right now <laughs> my band is not doing much of anything well we still play but like we're not out there like you guys are there's no 18 year old kid who's going to look at you guys and be like, pff, they're too old. They're too old to be playing music. They don't give a shit. It's not the same thing anymore. There's just oh, yeah. premium on uh, the identification of like aged people. Uh, we're bridging gaps in a very different way. Now, when I was 18 years old, if I saw a guy 28 years old and he wasn't in sick of it all or agnostic front, fuck you right like I, dude yeah. you're not getting in the pit with me so i don't give a shit about you it's not like that anymore that's just not even a passing thought you know what i mean oh totally you know i would have i would have felt the same way when i was like 14 and there was yeah. somebody my age in a band I'd be like damn get off the stage old man like what exactly. are you doing exactly like, but yeah now it's like not even a thought like and there's like there's definitely bands that like you know not even like bands that were around back in the 80s but like newer bands that still have people like pushing 50 maybe even like pushing 60 that yeah. like are incredible and like nobody bats an eye about it which is fantastic because like it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way i think yeah. you know uh it doesn't matter what age like you get into music like you want to start a band like honestly everybody should just start a band like yeah. record a demo do write a song i don't give a shit like just do something creative in that sense like it, it might suck it will probably suck like if i like had a nickel for every horrible thing i'd ever like written recorded in my lifetime of like making music i'd be a millionaire at this point me like, too me too oh so many bad so many stupid bad bands that i was in like it doesn't even yeah i don't want to talk death, about it so. death metal uh, or grindcore adjacent thing i ever did with the exception of one or two were fucking awful but you know like i was i was i was searching i was i was put getting in the mix doing what i needed to do to find my voice and that's the important yeah part. it's just it's just fun yeah and, and one of the things that's kind of weird too like and i guess like this is also just kind of like the the generation that's coming up in music like i gotta catch myself because i sometimes find myself having a bad attitude about it but like you know not to be like one of those people like oh you got to pay your dues but like when you when you were younger and you're in a punk band or a punk adjacent band whatever like there was there was like ways things happen like booking shows like now now it's like so democratized like anybody can like start a band do all the stuff which is fantastic and i love that 
but like they didn't have that same experience of like growing the, up in a punk vet, band. The vetting process. Exactly. And and it's hard because like some bands like I've had this experience where like bands that are they're good, they're they're great bands, but on a personal or like a business side of things, just don't get the DIY or punk mindset in it. Yeah. And and it's fine because like if you're good and like you're you want to do this as a job, like fine. <laughs> good good luck. Like <laughs> I I, I hope I hope you succeed, but like it, it comes at the cost of like actually being a good person to like play a show with, or it's it, it kind of creates this weird rock star mentality that hasn't been earned yet. Yeah. Um, and, and it and it's tough because like literally anybody can go and like go on YouTube now and watch some random guy tell you how to book shows or like how to like make a press kit or like how to manage a band, and it and usually when it's somebody who's on the internet like that, they're doing it because they're trying to sell you on something. It's not like, yeah. not they like they're actually good own, at it. They didn't read book your own fucking life. Exactly. Like they, they, they don't have the personal experience. They probably just yeah. saw another video and they're making a video of it. But a lot of kids will kind of take this as dogma of what the music industry is like and kind of come at it from that perspective rather than like, we're having a good time type of perspective. Well, and I, um, I have a great, it, it kind of sucks. I have a great story for this, not to uh, monopolize the time, but uh, about seven, eight years ago, my current band, we were uh, we were approached by Joe from the Queers to uh, put them on because they were on tour and they wanted to come through. And I know the Queers come with their own baggage right now, but Joe is a nice guy, even though he has some questionable belief systems. I don't know about the queers drama, but <laughs> well, he's just he's he's kind of right wing adjacent now. Oh, okay. Uh, but he was always kind of abrasive, but he's a nice guy. And he reached out to us and he said, Look, here's our guarantee. We said, We're not gonna get you that dude. But if you still want to play a show, we'll put you on, we'll set it up, we'll give you the lion's share of the door to get you close to your guarantee. And he said, dude, just get us whatever. And, you know, we played the show. He ended up almost making his guarantee and he still gave us a quarter of the fucking show because we put it on. That's fucking punk rock. And yeah. the queers have been a band since the 80s. Okay. They played with the Ramones. They they did the whole thing. This dude's still doing it, still reaching out to these nobody bands and giving us a quarter of the fucking door because we set the show up. We put him on and we yeah. went the extra mile for him. What, tell me what's not cool about that. That's incredibly cool. That's incredibly punk. Yeah. No, and that's, that's the way it should be. And I feel like, you know, bands that, you know, like let's say the Cruise, for example, uh, would often like take smaller bands on tour and like kind of mm -hmm. like nurture, you know, that relationship and everything like that. But now like, again, like I, I won't like name specifics, but like bands that are in this scene are like straight up like asking for $500 guarantees in cities they've never played before. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is like your Spotify streams don't always translate to, you know, bodies in the venue. <laughs> and, you know, um, and it just kind of sets this really bad precedent, like to where like certain bands, like I know promoters won't work with anymore because of this attitude um, that like they deserve this. And like, yes, I, in a perfect world, I would love everybody to be able to get 500 bucks each time they play a show. Like, that'd be fantastic. But like, if you're not at that point yet where you, the guarantee is because you 
you have something to offer the venue or the promoter in the sense that you know that you will fill the venue blah 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 blah, blah. like and it's just so kind of backwards to me that like bands today are like straight up like <laughs> sending out writers for like venues with like less than 100 person capacity like they don't they even have a green room like why are you sending like i don't know it's just so so bizarre it's not they missed like the fugazi. That's they missed the fugazi <laughs> uh, uh model where it's like we want a percentage of the door we don't want yeah. this amount of money just whatever you, you get at the door give us this percentage and don't charge more than this at the door and we'll play your show that's fucking cool is what that is and yeah they lost people lost the the idea of just being cool people and 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 having that be the you know the the guiding principle of being in a punk punk adjacent hardcore whatever the fuck band you're in independent band fugazi should be your north star yeah and, and they're just not <laughs> they're yeah just and, and 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 the, the, i think the, the real reason is like the kids just weren't raised in that world like the internet gives you every piece of information you could ever want in your fingertips whether it's correct or not mm -hmm. and uh so i guess like if you're if you're a young band listening right now like just play the show like play the show ask for a percentage of the door like nine times out of ten like when we play a show like yeah like i think there's been times where like we just didn't get anything from the door like it just worked out that way or yeah. we're not the touring band and if the show only brought in 40 bucks i'm not taking a cut no you <laughs> I think that's, the touring band. that's another thing that i think a lot of people don't understand at this point like oh well i played so therefore i should be compensated for my time no. like, yeah like sure in like in theory but like it's not being a good partner in this whole thing and 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 then nobody's going to want to work with you nobody's going to want to play shows with you and and really like if you're playing the show like you might sell some merch like i mean more often than not like our merch sales exceed what we make from the door and that's kind of why we play the show is because i got records i gotta move you know what yeah. i mean like yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so. you got and I think that's that's the the takeaway from this whole riff is just if you're in a young band, number one, you're supporting the touring band because someday you're going to be the touring band, and you want that band <laughs> to take care of your ass when you get to their karma. Karma's a yeah. bitch, especially when you're in a touring band. But also, what whatever model you're using, it's the wrong one. Just think about or look up what fugazi would have done and model yourself after that but i think to kind of like wrap things up a little bit um i always ask the same question to every artist every time and if you're i'm you're probably not familiar with what this show is about but it's the same question every time and that is what is it that inspires existential dread in you <laughs> um you know, I think about this a lot. Like, it's, uh, God, it sounds horrible, but like existential dread, I think the biggest source is just like the uncertainty of longevity of life. And not in like the short sense. It's like, how long do I have to live? <laughs> and, and not, not in a way of like, I, I dislike living. It's like, um, working in medicine, like, and I see people who, you know, push in a hundred or even more sometimes. And like the degree of, autonomy and agency that they sacrifice for the sake of living or because their family wants them to. Um, I often think about like what my life is going to look like when I'm at that age and what does that mean for me? And like, 
it actually kind of gives me like more of appreciation for like doing the things I want to do now while I'm still like able to. Yeah. But like, you know, like I, I, <laughs> I don't want to live too long, I guess is the moral of the story. And well, and, and that's entropy versus expectation kind of like, <laughs>
Well, that's the thing. Like we, we expect that like our current state is sustainable for an extended period of time. And it's not like we are, like you said, we're an entropy. We're slowly, <laughs> slowly breaking down and you reach a point of no return where like, that is like you, the moment, like how you feel in this moment is probably going to be the best you're going to feel ever again in your entire life, like from yeah. a physical standpoint. And like, that's also hard to swallow for a lot of people is like, it's a necessary part of living that we're slowly degrading. Um, but I guess like, if I had like one big takeaway for people is like, <laughs> write an advanced directive for yourself <laughs> make your wishes known yeah um yeah create a living will Designate I, i've had one proxy. since i was 22 i've had one Good, since you I got it you never you know you never to. know what will happen um yeah so that's like that's my existential dread is just like uncertainty uncertainty of longevity of life <laughs> that's that's actually the one of the more realistic uh answers i've ever gotten to that question <laughs> And uh, I, I guess uh, to kind of like wrap it up, if you were to leave everyone with one kind of like nugget as as someone who I, I find to be intellectually fascinating, what would you leave everyone with tonight? Hmm. That's a good question. I think um, I think kind of touching back on what we were talking about just more recently is is my nugget of information is like. we don't we've all come from like different backgrounds within the music music world but there's like the punk ethos we were talking about i think is consistent for a lot of like even across like the different genres of everything and i i hate that that's kind of being lost now um you know i would the nugget of information i would get is like for bands who are just starting out like identify with other bands that you like reach out like find like mentorship in some facet like that and like ask to get on shows like hustle in that regard don't like come at it with like this expectation that you're owed anything um because like might be an unpopular opinion because like i'm in a position luckily where like i do have you know job prospects outside of music but like i don't view music as like my like source of income this is a hobby for me this is what i do for fun this is what i do to like separate myself from the realities of living and i know not everybody approaches that way and it would be fantastic if we could all find a way to like sustain ourselves from our art and we find ways to do it i do like graphic design for like side work and stuff like that but like um if you come at it from a place of like this is you attempting to make money like you're gonna you're gonna alienate yourself and your band from other people you're not going to be able to like really achieve what you want to achieve and so i would just say like come at it from a place of learning and like respect for other artists. Uh, I'll have to tell you the full story, like off the record sometime, cause it, you'll yeah. blow your mind um, what, what some people do. And so like, just, just pay your dues, I guess. <laughs> kinda, kinda, I feel like such an asshole saying that, but like, pay your no, dues. <laughs> no, I, I think that's kind of universal and you know, I agree wholeheartedly, but listen, uh, we're going to have to get together again because we have a ridiculous <laughs> amount of shit in common. It's actually scary. But... We'll probably just have a whole whole other couple hour conversation about just the trade. So Legitimately. <laughs> Between the trades and, and punk rock for sure. But uh, listen, man, this has been a blast. Uh, it's been great meeting someone that I'm that on the level with. So I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the record. Hopefully when the next thing comes along you'll come on again but hopefully you'll come on before then 
So yeah, we'll have to see what's in the future. I mean, I'm down to yeah. come on whenever. Um, but the record's out. I'll put in the plug. January 10th. January I don't know when this 10th. episode's coming out, but the record's out January 10th. So probably. I hope people. This will come know, out give probably that day. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I hope people give it a listen just because like. It's something that I, I enjoyed, you know, being a part of and, and making it with uh, with my friends. And at the end of the day, like that's all I want out of music. Yeah, <laughs> it's having fun with your friends. You know, that's what it's all about. Listen, bro, this was great, and uh, I'll hit you up soon. This will come out the same day as the record, hopefully, if not right before, just to plug it. Cool, and awesome. I'll be in touch. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's Thank a blast. you very much. It was awesome. <laughs> Take care. Take it easy, Peter. See ya. See ya, bro. And there it is, folks. My interview with Travis of the True Faith. We touched upon the fact that they had to slightly shift their name around due to a Filipino band. Um, I'm not familiar with said band. I am familiar with the debacle (laughs) precursor to this episode. So it's a good thing that they did make that little switch because it helps delineate them from anyone else. And furthermore, uh, this band has a distinct identity that uh, I think comes through pretty glaringly upon listening. As I'd said at the uh, preamble of the episode, uh, this band has created a lot of excitement within the underground and it's well-deserved. I am immediately transported by this music to a different era, a different time, a different space, somewhere that uh, I personally enjoy being. I hope you glean the same feeling from this music. It means the world to me, it really does. And uh, Travis is just a great guy. I loved talking to him. I can't wait to do it again. It was a real honor getting to have him on here for his band's release special on the book of very, very bad things. We get to do such cool stuff on this show. It's astounding to me that we're afforded all of these opportunities. And legitimately, I uh, I can't rest on those laurels. Those opportunities are afforded to me by these great bands that have enough trust in what we do to give them a good avenue to showcase their wares, their music. And I really have to thank them for that. As far as the podcast goes, you can still go and become a member if you want to part with some money or if you just want to do a one-time donation. All of this is available on our Instagram. All of this information anything you want to contribute you can do through instagram but the most important thing you contribute is your ears if you love what we're doing just like us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe there share our posts on instagram and facebook and just You know, let people know that you think what we're doing is worth listening to. That is the best thing you can do to be a supporter of this podcast. 
If you don't want to part with any money, I totally get it. Times are really, really tough right now. If you want to support us, support us with your enthusiasm, with your ears, and with your hearts. With that being said, it's been a real pleasure and honor. I've been away for two weeks. It's felt like forever. I miss talking to you all. I hope you missed hearing me. He's been Travis. I've been Peter. They've been the true faith. You've been beautiful. And this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. From Tiana, our son Kanan, and myself. I thank you all. I send you love and blessings. And I will see you on Friday the 13th for our super spooky Friday the 13th special. (laughs) Have a great night, everyone. Take care.